Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so glad you're joining me in my kitchen today. And my co-host, Chef Jamie Larita, is in his kitchen. And today, we are going to introduce you to two amazing people who have just written the book, The Berkshires Farm Table Cookbook, 125 Homegrown Recipes from the New England Hills. So I would like to introduce you to Elisa Spongen Bildner and Rob Bildner. Welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Oh, well, I absolutely love that you are taking each of us into the farmland in the Berkshires. And I never realized what an incredible uh, ecosystem and community of farmers and food lovers that are there. What inspired you to write this cookbook? Sure. Well, I'll start. Um, The Berkshires are a very special place. We have been uh, part-time residents of the Berkshires for over 35 years. Our kids consider the Berkshires their spiritual home. Uh, The kids have actually, two of them have been married here. A third is about to get married in the Berkshires. We are now. And we, we, we love it so much because it's a cultural mecca, uh, scenic, recreational, uh, beautiful spot with hills and lakes. And it's also a food hub, uh, and there are really extraordinary local farms, uh, all kinds of delicious specialty food companies, and a wonderful farm table uh, restaurant scene. And, and I would add, uh, the story actually started not so much when we first uh, moved to the Berkshires or bought our first home in the Berkshires, but with our youngest son, we have four children, all grown. Our youngest is 27, and he's the one who introduced us to the, the farm part of the Berkshires. He asked, uh, after learning how to farm at, um, at a, a boarding school, he decided he wanted to farm uh, and looked at our backyard and said, can I farm it? And we actually arranged a whole uh, business plan with him. He borrowed some money, and he went out to farm our backyard, which was probably what you call a market farm, small, half-acre. And he did that pretty much straight through for two seasons. And what he found and what we saw was how hard it was to farm. Not only it was certainly hard to farm, but often hard and willing just to sell it, to go to farmers' markets, to really push the product, and to get people to understand what made it so terri- what made it absolutely so terrific. Um, but what we learned through our son Rafi was how amazing the farmers are, who this is their you know livelihood and their dedication um, and their commitment to principle, and that got us started on getting to know local farmers, understanding what the issues were with their business, and appreciating the products um, that they produced. And, you know, because of our own background, we, I grew up in a food family uh, in New Jersey, and, it, and my grandparents started a company called King Supermarkets, 
And then um, I started uh, some food distribution marketing companies. Elisa and I worked together, and we brought a lot of local products, specialty foods, organic produce, to the market. So Elisa and I had a great background in food. And when we met these lo uh, amazing farmers Elisa mentioned in the Berkshires, we were so inspired by them that we decided we wanted to tell their story. And we, we wanted people to, to see you know, the end, the, the, the end of the country road in the Berkshires where these extraordinary farmers are creating delicious foods in a very sustainable and healthy way. I, I'll also mention that I'm a serious amateur photographer and took the photographs of the farms and the restaurants in the book because it was a great opportunity to do some, uh, some wonderful photography and kind of show people who were not familiar with the Berkshires how beautiful the spot is. And, and you guys yeah. mentioned uh, how beautiful the Berkshire Mountains are. I want to reminisce a little bit about um, how far are you guys away from the Cushy Institute? Uh, this is very funny that you say this. We are on the Cushy Institute Road. The Cushy Institute is, is no longer here, um, but it was, it's literally down the road from where our house is. So, uh, Isn't that interesting? I, I went to the Cushy Institute. I was... Um, I was Amazing. fortunate enough to work for Sting, and uh, the Cushy Institute is where I learned uh, my foundation for macrobiotic cuisine. And oh. you're right, there's so much energy, and there's so many beautiful, um, beautiful farm and uh, plots there for, for farming. So, Jamie, that is fascinating. So I have to tell you, not, I'm not well, my background isn't macrobiotic, but I was, uh, my chef training was in Boulder, Colorado at a vegan chef school. But I do want to mention, uh, so it wasn't macrobiotic, although obviously we did uh, you know, study some macrobiotic principles. But I really want to emphasize that our book, despite this conversation, is a book that's filled not only with recipes um, for you know, vegetables and fruits and that, you know, what's growing in the Berkshires, but for products from animals, because what we realized when we started this project, uh, what, four or five years ago, initially we thought, oh, of course, we're going to write about carrots all the time. And then we started really meeting all the farmers and discovered that because of the land that, uh, and because of the economics of the area, that a number, many of the farmers raised animals. And um, so our cookbook is both animal and plant-based. Um, and one of the most striking things that I do have to mention, and, and particularly given my chef training that I found so fascinating, was the way that these farmers who were raising animals um, treated their animals in a way I just couldn't imagine, posit positively, with love and care and concern about their lives. Yes, the stories that you both share and the photography, Rob, is so amazing. You just bring us into the lives and the land of these farmers and, and you divide each uh, chapter into a farm or a restaurant and you feature their specialty. Uh, could you tell us about the one with the amazing carrots and what makes them so amazing and what was it like to bite into that carrot? Sure, uh, it's a great story, and uh, you know, actually, there's believe it or not, there's an update as we speak, uh, which I um, I have some of that info. But uh, yeah, so that farm is called Woven Roots. Um, I think there's some very beautiful photographs of the farm in Tiringham, Massachusetts, not far from our home in Beckett. And Woven Roots was started by an extraordinary couple, uh, Dan and 
Pete Salinetti. Pete's a local guy. Uh, Jen actually grew up in New Jersey. And they be- were very committed to sustainability, to growing, they call it growing the soil. They, they, they do something called no-till farming, which means they literally um, uh, they cultivate their, their vegetables on a very small acreage, but very intensively by hand. It's, it's really amazing. But what they grow, and you, you ask about the carrots, the, the carrots are, are, are sweet as sugar. There, there's a great story we tell in the book that the Salonettis had these two lovely children, and when we visited them, they told us the story how when they would go to local friends' um, birthday parties, you know, the other parents and families would bring, you know, candies and, and kind of junk food. Sports equipment. Sports equipment. <laughs> the Salonettis would bring carrots from their farm, and the kids would literally bring carrots to their friends. And after a while, their friends would, would, would just couldn't wait to taste those carrots. And they would say, oh, my goodness, yummy carrots from Woven Roots. We can't wait. And we have a photo in the book of uh, Jen uh, harvesting a carrot. And we offer some recipes uh, based, inspired by uh, what Jen and Pete uh, grow at the farm. There, Jen was recognized as one of the uh, 40 under 40 leaders in Berkshires County for her uh, for tremendous uh, uh, leadership in explaining, educating about uh, farming to the community. And they're very community minded. They're really they're, they're amazing, lovely people. And I would just I would just add on the carrots that when we went to the farm, I think this, this is one of the our earlier farm visits, we tasted the carrots ourselves, and we could not believe believe how sweet they are because, you know, even though we were in the food business, we were not dealing with carrots that were literally plucked from the ground and then you eat them. And, and what we want to convey is how um, herb it is to eat straight, fresh from the ground, that the ingredients that you get like this, if you can get them as local as possible right after they've been harvested, make for phenomenal food and phenomenal recipes. It's really the secret to uh, me, all cooking and recipes. Wow. Yes, but you can't do it in the winter sometimes in New Jersey, but we work around it a little. Now, do you I think... I will also mention that, I just want to add that, more of an update, that Salonetti's been very active in trying to help folks who've been impacted by the virus, and they have uh, been very engaged in developing fund called the Solidarity Share Fund. And if, if your listeners are interested in learning more about them, they can certainly go on our website, berkshiresandbeyond.com. We, ha- we have links to the Woven Roots Farm and all of the other 42 farms and, and restaurants that we profile in the book. And I was just about to ask, uh, and Jamie, I know we were so concerned about this, how how have the farms been impacted? I mean, you hear these stories out there with the larger farms, farms of course, who've cut production. I mean, are the small, smaller for, farms impacted? Will the the fresh farmers markets be impacted? So it's a, it's a really good question, um, and we were we were and still are plenty worried about all these people that we interviewed. Um, because both both chefs and farmers, because honestly, these are not people who go into this because they're going to make a killing in terms of money. They're really living, um, so many of them, on the edge, and I, I do worry about them. 
Um, if you go to our Facebook, um, our Facebook page for the cookbook, um, we do updates on all the farmers who keep us updated, and many of them have. And again, this is just you know, in this time, it's always remarkable how people pivot. But so many of them have pivoted to selling directly, um, selling through you know small groups um, together. Uh, restaurants are doing, I'd say almost every one interview that we know of is doing takeout. Now, whether this will carry them through, I can't say because they don't know their finances, but they've pivoted. And what I will say that for, for listeners and for all of us as consumers of food, this is actually, ironically, a time when small family farms, the ones that, the kind that we write about, and by the way, that I'm, I am sure, you know, dot the um, wider Midwest area where you live, um, you know, as well, I'm thinking Wisconsin, et cetera, um, this is a time when actually it's really great to be able to get to these farms or to find their produce in the supermarkets or in CSAs that you can buy from them because you know that they've, the produce has been handled relatively little. Farmers that we interview, I would say, if they're not certified organic or sustainable, um, even the purity of the ingredients is, is very much evident in how they farm and how they care about the soil. And for all of us who are worried about our health and concerned, you couldn't do better than to not only for the taste, but the nutrition value um, and safety of buying, of buying local. Chef Jamie, you are going to love the recipes in this book, and it truly is farm to table. And what was one of the most inspirational recipes for you and this, Elisa? Because I know you're a chef trained. What really stood out as one of your favorite ones? You know, it's always like you know, picking your favorite dog or favorite child. Um, so the truth is that the recipes are all meant to be very accessible. So they're, they're relatively easy recipes. And um, I have to say, I, there's a lot of them that I do like. But I want to suggest to you one particular recipe that's, again, easy because that's um, been sort of our byword. And it happens to be one that we're featuring on our website um, at the moment on our blog called Zitellini Pasta with Sugar Snap Peas and Vincetta or um, Mushrooms depending on whether you want to do it with um, whether you want to do it with meat or you want to do it with um, make it vegetarian. And this is a recipe that was developed by, I should mention here, our collaborator Brian Auberg, who is a very well-known chef in the area. Several recipes that come straight from the, the kitchens that he works in. He was the executive chef of the Red Lion Inn, which is a very famous restaurant yes. uh, and inn in the area, and is now vice president of Main Street Hospitality, which is a hospitality group in, in the area. And Zitellini pasta, this recipe, is one of his recipes from the Red Lion. Um, and I like it because it takes advantage, particularly now, of sugar snap peas, which are coming into season. Um, like so many of the recipes, we, we try to alter or make them both um, vegetarian-friendly or meat-friendly, meat and this was originally a meat one. It's a cream-based recipe, uh, so it's, it, is, it is rich. Um, and it's, again... Pretty easy to make and something that your uh, listeners could go easily find on our website if they, you know, care to see it and try it themselves. I like that one. Um, I'm going to mention another one that is even easier. Um, that's one of my absolute favorites. It's a soup, chilled melon, chilled melon and mint soup. And the reason yes. I mention it because, again, focus on ease. We're trying to bring out the natural flavor of the ingredients in all these recipes, whether it's the sugar snap peas or in the Ditalini, it's also the dairy because uh, the dairy is from a local, very well-known dairy farm. But in the, this melon recipe, 
that chilled um, melon and mint soup. There's a farm around here who does melons, and his melons are so sought after, it's considered to be, quote, the melon whisper of the area. And you put his melons in a soup, and this soup is really based on uh, honeydew or cantaloupe puree. Um, his name is Dave, Dave Levitt, by the way. And all you have to do is use his melons, and you have an incredible product. Now, for people who are not in this area, there are, I'm sure, wonderful places to get melons that are as flavorful and wonderful. But the soup is, again, so easy and so beautiful. It's actually, um, and I'm thinking of our earlier discussion about macrobiotics, it's, the way it's served is that the, the melon and the, the two melons are separately pureed and then put together in a bowl. And I put them together in a yin-yang kind of design that is extremely easy to do. And it's just, it's beautiful. And then uh, garnish it with a, a little bit of mint. It's absolutely beautiful. It's on uh, page 56 of our book. Yes. I don't have online yet. I Margaret, all I know is that I feel like driving to the Berkshire Mountains and getting some carrots and melons. I know. <laughs> I can't wait. And I can't wait to see you cook with us. Of course, Chef Jamie is the chef. I <laughs> I love the stories, but he is wonderful in the kitchen and can bring this to life as well on his Instagram stories. But I, I love this picture. I, I, As you said, the juxtaposition of the two key ingredients, this visual Alisa reminds me of the Amazon River where they travel side by side but don't intermingle when the two rivers meet to form the Amazon River. It's really a crowd pleaser. We we have been developing the cookbook for uh, four years and this is a recipe. It's been a long journey but it, it, because we could never stop. We kept on meeting a farmer and then we are led to the next one. But this soup uh, is a favorite of ours and we've shared it with so many friends who have learned the recipe. It's really easy to, to make um, using, um, you know, using a blender. And it's so delicious. When the melons are right, it's the sweetness and the, the, the aesthetics, as you pointed out, uh, are, are fabulous. And I just mention one other thing because there's a principle that comes from this soup that I've just mentioned that sort of underlies what we're doing um, or our, our philosophy of food. So a friend of mine made this soup. Um, we gave a book talk of, actually a year ago before the book came out, and she came up and to me and said, "Time the recipe." Gave her the recipe and made the soup, and then she read it wrong. She she got the measurements of uh, how much melon not exactly right, and she called me up hysterically and said, oh, it's not going to come out, it's not going to come out. And my point to her was, and my point to listeners is this, which is nothing is set in stone in terms of recipes, almost in terms of ingredients. Baking is a, something different, but in terms of cooking, I find, okay, so you have a little bit, you don't have enough cantaloupe, uh, stick more honeydew in. You have a little bit more... Uh, Sweeten up the soup a little bit. You know, whatever, whatever you want usually will come out. It's rare to me that recipes don't come out because you don't have an ingredient or because it's not exactly right. Now, I'm afraid to say this, Jamie, because you may have a totally different philosophy, but mine is that uh, it, it works out in the end. No, you know what? I'm right there with you. And as a matter of fact, I love when recipes, um, you know, mutate into something else, and especially if you have an ingredient that wasn't, you know, it's usually, I say, that the ingredient that's in your midst is the ingredient that needs to be added to the recipe. So um, right now, I'm developing a recipe. I'm writing recipe uh, right now as we speak for something that I have to do later. And you've got me thinking about, um, you know, adding different ingredients to it. And I love the idea of this 
melon soup. It reminds me of a melon soup that I made uh, in a um, when when I was able to get some great melons in season at the farmers market, and I add uh, some spicy uh, barbecued shrimp to it. Hmm. So it gives you a whole different uh, experience when you throw some fire hot hmm. shrimp into that melon. Very interesting. It sounds, it sounds yeah. very interesting. And you know, you asked about inspirational recipes, and this recipe, is, as Elisa uh, was discussed with the far- farmer who inspired it, Dave, he is an extraordinarily inspiring person. I mean, he persists farming these melons and, you know, when you know, 100 degree heat uh, with <laughs> insects swarming, he moves his land uh, to tr- always try to find the, the best spot. And he has been developing melons, basically, since he was a kid. Uh, he started uh, 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 buying seeds and growing melons, and he is absolutely obsessed with growing the perfect melon. And he's a very inspiring, he's a prototype for many of the farmers we profile who are so committed to their craft. And we just love this guy. We love his melons. And uh, hopefully your listeners will be able to either find Dave's melons when they visit the Berkshires, or they'll find their own amazing melons to make this soup. And, and I want to go back also to Jamie, something that you said about, you know, how you're going to play around with ingredients or throwing shrimp on melon, whatever. And I was thinking about something I made last week from the cookbook. And by the way, I don't always cook from the cookbook, but it was a mushroom ragu, uh, like a stew over, uh, what did I, I can't remember, I put it over, um, I can't remember the pasta or a quinoa, whatever, whatever I, I had. But I think particularly now when people are in their kitchens and they don't have ingredients, it's, it's now more than ever important to um, not be so wedded to what a recipe says. Uh, again, I'm going to put baking aside because that's more of a chemistry issue. But when I was making this mushroom ragu, and this is a recipe that's adapted from page 150 of our book, adapted from a phenomenal farm table restaurant in the area called Prairie Whale, Chef Stephen Browning. And I should mention that the recipes are either adapted from Chef created recipes or they're inspired by what the farm produces, mm-hmm. not so much the farm recipes, which is a whole different subject. But um, in this recipe, I was missing shallots. I didn't have time, fresh thyme. I didn't have uh, uh, <laughs> like three or four different things. But the point is I had really great mushrooms, and that's what made the recipe. Everything else was right. sort of soda. Didn't really sure, and I, I also love that. You know, when it comes to really, really well-farmed foods um, that have, like, you know, to go back to the melons that you're talking about that have that, like, energy, right? The the melon whisperer. He's the melon whisperer. So that energy goes into, he's excited to be the me- the melon whisperer. It really yeah. is about the main ingredient, right? Like, I always say that sometimes you have to let the main ingredient, uh, just like a celebrity or a singer on stage that has backup singers, you know, don't forget that, you know, a beautifully grown mushroom could be the star of the show. And if they're really, really great and they're farmed with that really intensely passionate energy, they're probably just great by themselves. Absolutely yes. right. So two you know? things you, one is, I cannot tell you the number of farmers we spoke to who said um, what makes our produce or our, our meat different from anybody else's, meaning agribusiness, et cetera, is the love that goes into um, what we do, and they said they can't quantify it. They can't put a like explain exactly how it works, but they believe, and I believe it, that it comes out in the food that they 
uh, in the quality of what they grow and they raise. And the second thing I would just tell you is a very quick story. Um, Chef Brian Augberg, who's our collaborator, as I mentioned, so Brian, we had a wonderful and have a wonderful relationship with Brian. But one day I called Brian up and I said, Brian, I gave my, the chicken cacciatore recipe to a friend. Uh, all the recipes are professionally tested, but a friend wanted to try the chicken cacciatore. So I said, fine. She did it. She liked it. She said, but I wanted a fancier recipe. So I went back to Mason and I said, Brian, could we work on making this, quote, fancier? And Brian, for the first time ever, Got, I don't want to use the word angry because he's not that kind of person, but he was a little ticked, and he said to me, he said, Lisa, let's go back to the mission of what we're doing. It's about the ingredients. The ingredients are what shine, and you don't need 20,000 ingredients to have a fantastic recipe. In this case, we have the chicken that's that's raised here and raised in a, in a uh, loving and beautiful way, That I should say, the, the, the chicken. And then secondly, he said, let's talk about what's in this recipe, the peppers, the tomatoes, who grew them, the love that was in them. How those ingredients shine. That's what makes the recipe, not a long list. You know what you know what I would have said? I would have said, sure, no problem. Let me put on a tie. <laughs> oh, Jamie. Love I love to, uh, in terms of a wonderful endorsement for your book, an uplifting celebration of the passionate people who keep agriculture alive in the Berkshires. You'll be well stocked with ideas for making the most of your farmer's market hall. And of course, that was Danny Meyer, founder and CEO of Union Square Hospital. Group and he's been on Kitchen Chat. Uh, I'd I'd love to get your tips because we always like to end the show with tips for the home chef. So, what would be your tips in terms of well stocking um, and making the most of the farmers market hall? What would be three tips for maximizing your visit to a farmers market? So, first, I'm going to quote. Michael Ballin, who is unfortunately not living, but he was one of the, he died at an untimely early death, but he was at the forefront of farm to table in this area. Michael said to us, in precise answer to the question you asked, he said, I think you should go to a farmer's market and go with no preconceptions. Hmm. Go and just buy what what speaks to you. It goes to the issue we sort of just discussed about um, being very, you know, open about use of ingredients. And... I have to say, I learned that. I learned from him. I would come with my normal, you know, very, uh, oh, opening to the page, uh, my shopping list of what exactly I wanted, and I only wanted to get this or that, and that's precisely what he said not to do. He, uh, I'll quote, he said, uh, he said, allow the serendipity of the garden's harvest to decide your menu. I think those are Love it. Wow. The second thing, uh, it, sort of a, a side tip following from that one, is... To, when you walk to the supermarket even, as well as farmer markets, is to try things that don't, that haven't spoken to you yet, things that you probably have never touched. So I'm thinking of kohlrabi, which I will be honest with you, before I got involved in this cookbook, I'm trying to think I've ever used kohlrabi. But meanwhile, we have a phenomenal recipe for something called bean chili, um, inspired by a farm called Caretaker Farm, that came about because the person who, the farmer, um, was, was using, I guess, the Moosewood cookbook, and she had a chili recipe, and she has kohlrabi. Her farm has in so many items that they that they uh, sell, and they have CSAs. Um, and she had a, some kohlrabi lying around. She said, God, I wonder if I could stick kohlrabi in chili. And the, her doing that inspired our kohlrabi 
chili recipe, um, which is delicious. But again, who would ever think of either kohlrabi and chili or just even using kohlrabi? And by the way, if you can't find kohlrabi, we also wrote the recipe to include broccoli stems as an alternative. So again, you don't have to get fixated because sometimes you can't find kohlrabi. Third thing having to do with farmer's markets, sometimes you can buy the most you know, banal, so to speak, ingredients, an onion. And you can take that onion and do extraordinary things with it. So, yes, we spoke about kohlrabi. We also want to speak about taking an onion and caramelizing it slowly for 20, 30 minutes and getting a phenomenal taste out of a single onion. And, Rob, I know you want to say Yeah, I'll just add, which I think is really a central theme of our book, when we go to the farmer's market, that this is our chance to know our farmer. And we hmm. say in our book, know your farmer. Talk to the farmer. Find out what do they do. How do they do it? How do they grow their produce? Their passion, their commitment to the soil, to the community will come out. And believe you me, that will make a tremendous difference in your product because that energy will come out when you make your, your amazing meal that night. So we say know Great your farmer. Tip. Yes. Know your farmer. Wow. Well, this has been so enlightening. Thank you both so much for a wonderful kitchen chat and and inviting us into the Berkshires uh, for the Berkshires Farm Table Cookbook. Listeners, I'll make sure that you have a link to this as well as to their website, Berkshires and Beyond. And I hope that everyone will enjoy a taste of homegrown and a taste of the farm at your kitchen table. And thank you so much, Rob and Elisa and Jamie, for the special kitchen chat today. Thank you both. Thank you. Oh, well, you take care. Yes. oh, thank you. And thank you, dear foodie friends, for joining the fun. And please visit me in my kitchen, kitchenchat.info. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.